Good to be here. Thanks for cramming yourself into the smaller room this morning. It's a pleasure to join with you in the worship of God. My name is Mark. I'm one of the elders here. If you're just joining us, it's your first time. Welcome. We're glad you're here with us. We're starting a new series this morning, uh, and, and we'll unpack that in just a moment. But I wanted to give you a quick annou- uh, update. Uh, some of you know are aware that uh, as a, a church plan, it, it's our heart from the very beginning to be a church that plants churches that plants churches, specifically gospel-centered churches that plant gospel-centered churches. And so the first tangible step for us, well, the second tangible step, the first one was joining the Acts 29 network. We're an Acts 29 church. It's a network of 674 churches now around the globe that are committed to gospel-centered churches going uh, to the ends of the earth. And so uh, we're, we're going to do some work with them. We're going to par- partner with them. We're going to partner with a, a church in Italy that uh, I work with already uh, in my day job. And um, they're also an Acts 29 church, and we're going to encourage them, find, find ways for us to uh, connect with them. Uh, but the, the second tangible thing about that is, is that we want to raise up uh, the next generation of leaders. We want to raise up the next church plant. And so uh, to, to however degree that looks for, for our purposes, uh, the Bowermans who are here in January, Matthew and Lauren. Matthew just graduated with the Masters of Divinity from Beeson Divinity School in Birmingham, Alabama. He's they're, they're moving up here. They're driving up here on Wednesday. So would ask you to just be praying for them on that. Now that, that's close to my heart for, for two, two reasons. Because when, when I went to seminary, uh, I immediately went to the mission field, me, immediately went to Japan. But most of my friends, they, they didn't. They went into churches. And, and as they went into churches and as the years went by, more and more of them dropped out. The church just chewed them up and spit them out. And it hurt my heart. And I'd come back and I'd talk to my friends who were pastors, talk to my mentors, and I would tell them what, what's going on. And, and to, more than one occasion, they, they would grab me by the shoulders and they'd say, never leave there. Don't, don't leave there. If you come back here, they're going to tear you up and chew you out and spit you out. So I'm like, okay, I'm never coming to America to plant a church because <laughs> that's just a brutal, brutal thing. And so... Um, as uh, never had the plan for that, but the Lord uh, called us back here and still didn't have the plan for that. Uh, I'd interviewed with other churches and, and I was like, no, uh, now I know for sure I, I don't want to be a part of that. And so um, I, I'm just going to, we're just going to do a house church and that's this now. Uh, but uh, we, we um, just never wanted to do that because I just see, saw it as such a difficult thing, especially for young guys coming out of seminary. And so uh, before they get here, I'm going to ask you as a faith family to pray for them, to be an encouragement and not a burden to them, to, to uh, ha- have him, when, when, when Matthew comes up here and preaches, and he's going to do it 25, 30% of the time, uh, he's going to be a new preacher. I, I mean, he's a good preacher. I've heard him preach solid preaching, but he needs some reps. He needs some practice. And so would you encourage him in that? Would you be... Uh, just a, a different kind of church that, that really sets him up so that he can love the church for a very, very, very long time and serve it. 
That's what I'm asking you, because as we start this uh, series on the church, we, this is our first week being a church into our second year, uh, I realize that there's just some obstacles uh, in our way. And, and I just want to lay down my cards at the beginning of this series real quick. My, my hope, my prayer for you, what I've been praying for us as a church is that God would raise our affections, our love for, our knowledge, our involvement, our sacrifice for the local church because God really, really loves his church as messed up as it is, as, as awful as it can be. And we'll talk about that. Uh, it, God loves it. He calls it his bride. I'm getting ahead of myself, but uh, that's in the message later today. Uh, but he loves when his church gathers. And so I, I would like us to just raise our affections for, for one another, raise our affections for what God, God is doing. In so many ways, the church is God's plan A for the world, God's plan A for your discipleship, God's plan A for the expanse of the gospel, God's plan A for your encouragement and your educa- and edification, and there is no plan B. God is committed to the church, and we should be as well. And so I realize there's just some, there's some obstacles that we have to come against and kind of do some deconstruction first before we start this series. Because uh, first of all, there's, there's uh, just a cultural obstacle. We live in a, a hyper-individualistic, hyper-consumeristic culture. And so uh, the idea of committing yourself to anything, like any institution with any kind of commitment to one another, that's like foreign to us. If you get, past, you get west of the Mississippi River and uh, the whole idea of church membership, covenant membership, that's like, no, we don't do that. Some of you are from the South and you're like, of course we become members. But this is Denver, Colorado, right? Like if, if, if it's American value to be individualistic, like the cowboy value is even more so up there. And so when it comes to the church, it's like, ah, I can take it. I can leave it. I don't really want any, uh, I don't want to submit to anything above me spiritually. I'll forge my own way. And so that's an obstacle we've got to come over. But um, you and I were not designed to, to live alone. We were designed to live in authentic community. Now, now that's a buzzword in our culture. Everyone loves the idea of community until it affects what you want to do. Like until it affects you actually getting into each other's lives and, and knowing each other. But again, that is God's plan for us, and we were designed to thrive in that. The second kind of obstacle we got to dis- deconstruct is just, just want to recognize and realize, and I've already done that a little bit on the pastor side of thing, but uh, the church, uh, many of you have been deeply wounded by the church. Wounded by other members, there's been a spirit of, of hypocrisy, there's been a spirit of unforgiveness, there's been leadership that's been domineering and, and not biblical, and, and in so many ways, we wound one another, and so uh, it's just a miracle that you're even here with us right now. And so I just want to recognize and acknowledge that uh, those wounds are real, and, and that uh, in spite of that, God still 
wants you to uh, commit yourself to the church. And here's the thing about that. Um, like I said, at the end of this series, for the first time, uh, we're going to open up what we're, we're going to call covenant membership. And, and over the next few weeks, we'll, we'll unpack a little bit like that. This is not a drive for you to, to say, yes, I'm going to be committed. I'm going to become a covenant member of Redemption Parker. But it is a drive that if you are a follower of Christ, that you would find somewhere, whether it's here or, or any number of the great churches in our city, and say, I am committed to that place. Because to not be committed to the local church, to not be a member of a local church, is a foreign idea to New Testament Christianity. And yet, again, in the West, we're okay with that. But God's not okay with that. For God's glory and for your joy, we would be committed to one another and to that. So there's just a lot of past disappointments that are brought into this room from the local church. Uh, but I want to I just say this is the dearest place on earth. Like, how are those two things in concert? Well, let me read to you a, a quote or part of a sermon from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He preached in the 1850s. He preached to 10,000 people in the London Tabernacle. Uh, there, was no, there was no Bose stereo system there. He, he had to proclaim to 10,000 people. He was solid. Like it was the first megachurch, but on, on solid gospel-centered theology. And, and as he proclaimed, and at his, at his pastor's college, like they would look at you, and they, they might measure your chest. Like if you weren't, he said, if you weren't barrel-chested, God clearly did not call you to proclaim the gospel. And so I don't know where I'd be in that moment. Uh, I'd be uh, doing some other ministry in the church, maybe, but uh, thankfully I've got these things going on before me. But nonetheless, he's proclaiming the gospel, and he says this about the church. Just think about what he says. He says, give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it, a, found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If it if if I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I would never have joined one at all. I love that. He's like some of, and again, in this hyper-consumeristic, people can church shop for, for years upon years upon years looking for the perfect church. And as soon as they find something that they don't like or agree with or rubs in the wrong way, they move on because they're looking for a perfect church. And I'll just say up front, you won't find it here. I guarantee that. We, we will disappoint you. Probably have already done that. And I, if not, I've got another 30 minutes left here today. So uh, don't look for the perfect church. Here's what he says. I wouldn't have joined at all. And the moment I did join, the moment I did join it, if I had found one, that's the perfect church, I should have spoiled it for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. So what he says, like, don't find the, if you find the church, don't go there. You'll ruin its record. Still imperfect as it is, here's, here's this phrase, it is the dearest place on earth to us. He says this, all who have given themselves to the Lord should, as speedily as possible, also give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be a church on earth? If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it is right for everyone. And then the testimony of God would be lost in the world. He says, as I have already said, the church is faulty. But that is no excuse for you. You're not joining it if you are the Lord's. Nor need your own faults keep you back. For the church is not an institution for perfect people. 
but a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace. Okay, you can say amen, right? Like, I'm going to give you, I'm going to, that's Spurgeon, so that, that doesn't offend me that you didn't say amen, but uh, I'm going to give you three amens. Everyone needs to spend them uh, over the next 30 minutes, okay? So amen to that. I'm gonna, uh, you, I'll, I'll let you spend the first one because I'm just going to repeat that line. He says, the, the, but uh, the church is not an institution for perfect people, but a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace. Who, though they are saved, are still sinners and need all the help they can derive from the sympathy and guidance of their fellow believers. The church is the nursery for God's weak children, where they are nourished and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. It's where God shapes and forms us into Christ. So sometimes, especially if you get around like a men's group, they'll be like, hey, brother, what's your favorite verse? Oh, Proverbs 27, 17, as, as, one man, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And you're like, yeah, that sounds manly. That's like, we're going to call this church Steel City Forge City Steel Church. And, uh, <laughs> but if, you ever, if you've ever seen that process, that's a violent process. I mean, you got the stones, you, know, you got the fire, it's red hot, and they're just smacking, like, it's a violent, kind of uh, just messy process, and, and that's what the proverb means, and, and that's what we're getting at, that, that in this place, you're going to have a chance, if you actually commit yourself to one another, you're going to have a chance to practice forgiveness, because <laughs> you'll need to. If you actually commit yourself to one another, you're, you're going to have to uh, serve and, and do things that are uncomfortable. Uh, it's just discipleship is not a smooth process, but it is the thing that will echo for eternity. It is, it is the thing that we can touch eternity when we're in this place together. God is doing something amazing. Now, one, one more. There's probably many, many more barriers that we need to deconstruct before we launch into a series on the church, but I would just say this. like, just a desire, Maybe there's just a desire or your background for something just more practical. Like, come on, pastor, really? You just went through something called Habakkuk for five weeks, and, and now the church. Like, can't you do a series? Like, my marriage is struggling. Can't you, can't you do a series on marriage? That, that'd be helpful for me. Or, or even better, a series on sex. If you could do that, that, that'd be amazing for our relationship. Or how about one on money? Not, not me giving to the church, but how, how can I get ma- my bank account better? Just something practical, because I'm struggling financially, or, or any number of things. And, and you come in here, and then we start a new series, and we're like, oh, it's the church. You're like, ah, well, let me just say this. All those things, all those burdens, all those practical things that you hunger for, that you really need met in this moment, God's institution of the church is the place where God meets his people in every one of those areas. If you've ever experienced a a gospel-centered, saturated, uh, Christ-exalting, God-loving people, then in the moment that you have suffered, in the moment that you need help, it's been the church that has been God's tangible hands and feet that have come around you. Just get cancer and see how the church comes around you. Go to the hospital, and the church is the ones that will mow your lawn. Uh, Adopt a kid, and we will pray for you and and give you money to do that. 
any number of ways. If you're, if you're struggling in your marriage and, and it's like no longer just put on a happy face and show up at church, but it's gone public, like the church will be there to encourage you and help you. Like the church is God's means for the most practical things in every area of our life. So pragmatism doesn't necessarily help help us as much as God working through his people as imperfect as they are to meet you right where you're at. Because I could stand up here and be like, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give you five principles for a better marriage. And, and here's the five things. And then the next series, uh, we're going to do a series on debt. It's going to be called Debt is Dumb. And, and I'm going to talk about how if you, uh, if you, you shouldn't spend as much as you make. And, and I'm going to talk about, and then Aaron's going to come up here and he's going to sing a song, Debt is Dumb. If you have $4 and you spend 7 that's dumb. And we could all <laughs> leave here today and be like, yeah, debt is dumb. But, but in the end, if all the pragmatism in the world comes and you, you try all the things and you still are suffering depression, your marriage isn't fixed, and you still are in debt and all those things, aren't you more oppressed and, and chained down before than coming to church? Like, that's not what we want. We want you to be free. We, we, want, to, we want God to meet you in that space, but he does it in real, authentic relationships with the Spirit of God and other brothers and sisters, um, but it takes a, a level of commitment and a level of engagement that is just, uh, it's hard for us in Denver, Colorado to, to even consider. But I'm telling you, for your, the sake of your joy and for God's glory, consider it this morning. So, uh, where are we going to go here? We're going to kind of just do a, a quick 30,000-foot view this morning of the church, and then we'll, we'll drill down into the passage that Tiffany read uh, here in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and uh, begin to turn there. Uh, but first, as we zoom out, uh, I want to just ask some questions of what is the church? What is it? So uh, on one level, you're like, oh, that's easy until you actually start to think about it. And the, the Bible has a lot of different things to say uh, about the church. And, and some of our answers fall short. Some of the ways we naturally think of the church fall short. I mean, is the church a, a building? Well, we, we already said no. You know, I lived in Europe. I've been through many, many beautiful uh, places that have this, that share our name. Uh, the church uh, have been in cathedrals and and just amazing things. And at least in the moments that I walked through them, th- there was no, in a biblical sense, a church in that place. Uh, there was a lot of tourists, maybe maybe there was a concert that I went to. But in terms of a, a full orbed biblical view of the church, the church, of course, is not a Building Now, that works for us because we don't have a building. Um, no one's going to say, oh, do you go to the church called the Pace Center? No, no, we don't. That's not our building. We, we meet, uh, the church meets together uh, once a week in that place and happens to worship God from 945 to 1130, but that's not a church, uh, uh, the meeting of it. Because later on in the spring, you know what? While we're meeting, they've already come to us and they said, oh, we might have an issue. So, well, what's the issue? Well, uh, in the spring, while you guys are meeting, there's also going to be a, a bodybuilding competition. And, and people are going to be lathered up in baby oil and bikinis, and they're going to be walking around. Is that okay for you guys? And I'm like, whatever, I guess, uh, because this is not a church. This building, this structure is not a church, and yet the church in this moment is here because it's not a building. Well, others will say, you know, I just, I just do church online. I mean, and we have some amazing 
technologically, technology resources, all those things. And, and so I just go online, click it, and I've done church. And I say, there's only one person I've ever met where that actually works. His name's Drajan. Drajan lives in, the, in Croatia. Uh, one of our missionaries had discipled him, led him to faith. After the missionary left, uh, uh, Drazen was a, a sole believer in a town of no other Christians. The, the, the nearest uh, local evangelical church was about three hours away. And so Drazen gets online and he watches sermons and, and he gets some of his family now together. And, and they, so that's the only context where I've, I've seen, okay, that's legitimate. There's special grace for you, Drazen. But for the rest of us, that's just not biblical. It, it, it is good. I mean, I listen to and I watch several sermons every week, but I'm not doing church in that moment. I'm, there's no confession of sin. There's no uh, seeing into each other's eyes. There's no hearing the songs of praise going up uh, with the other saints together. There's no communion. There's no all the things that would make up a church can't be done virtually. I mean, it's in the same way that you have 900 Facebook friends. You don't have 900 friends. I'm telling you right now. You have like four friends, and that's the same with church. Like, I go to church online. No, you don't. And so maybe you're traveling, and that'd be a blessing to you. That'd be an edification. Do it. I do it every week, but it's not church. What about, what about if you just get together uh, and uh, you know, you're with some friends, uh, and they're Christian friends, and you get together at the bar, and you're talking about Jesus and all that, and, and then you move on. Well, in a sense, yeah, if, if some other Christians are there, there's church, but certainly not in the full-orbed view of New Testament Christianity has church happened in that moment. Or, or how about uh, when I was sitting on a dirt floor in a grass-thatched kind of outdoor structure uh, in Cambodia, and I, I had uh, the women, it was all women because the men were uh, in the military in Cambodia, and they were gone. And so I'm teaching them, uh, uh, sitting on the dirt from Colossians chapter 1, the supremacy of Christ. Was church happening there? Yes and no. I'm not their elder. I, I, there, were, there were no other ordinances taking place there. It was an encouragement. The church, in a sense, was present there, but not, again, in the full orb sense of what we're talking about here. So let me just talk about some metaphors for the church, and then we'll get to Ephesians 2, and I'll, I'll go quickly through that. Uh, but the, the Bible uses many, many metaphors, like something like 30-something metaphors for the church. We're only going to look at the four major ones, but, but here's the thing about a metaphor. A metaphor should cause us to pause and say, if that's true, then what does that mean for me? What does that mean for the church? And every metaphor is different because it means something different for us. And so um, here's the first metaphor. The church in the Bible is described as the family of God in covenant relationship with one another and with God. Let me just read a few verses. I, I, I narrowed this down. There, there's dozens, but let me just read a few. Ephesians chapter 1 says, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And, and so as family, uh, everyone in heaven will be adopted except for one, Jesus. 
We're, we're adopted into the family of God. We, we have the full rights and privileges of family members of God, and together we are the family. Uh, 2 Corinthians six eighteen. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. It's this family uh, kind of language and metaphor. So you should think, okay, well, what does that say about me? Galatians 6.10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So it's this household faith. Now, again, the metaphor of church as a family should say something. You didn't choose your family members, but they're family. And you love them. Everyone's got this strange uncle. But guess what? He's in your family. You got to love him. Uh, we don't choose our family. Now, now you can choose what, what church you're going to, uh, but you know what? You can't choose who's going to be in there. And, and they're going to be different, and they're going to have different background, experiences, uh, priorities, uh, but they're family. And if we're a family, we're called to love one another as family. The second metaphor that, w- that is predominant throughout the New Testament, and many of these actually all come from Old Testament analogies for the people of God, but the second one is the church is the body of Christ, working together with different gifts and callings to accomplish Christ's work on earth. Romans 12 says this, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. So he says, like a body member, like uh, you, you know the analogy, everyone has uh, different body parts. And, and we t- usually take all of our body parts for granted until there's something wrong with it, right? Like uh, I have a sprained ankle right now and I was at a father-daughter dance last night and I was like, oh, my ankle, I really love it when you're not in pain. Uh, but uh, when you're not in pain, I'm just going to ignore you. But the, the body is like that. We all have a function to play And I was thinking about this. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that you have, if you're a follower of Christ, that you have a a, a crucial role to play in the body of Christ? Good. (laughs) Because there you go. You got two. Yeah, you got one more for me later. Uh, I just wonder about that because sometimes it it can just kind of see, okay, I show up, I do that, I I don't, you know, and, and so on and so forth. And we don't really consider that, that church is, is, is not a spectator sport. Like there's times like this, like we're in rows, but, but hopefully this is the minority of our experience as the church, where otherwise you're working in, walking in, using the gifts for the edification of the body. 1 Corinthians 10, 17. We who are many are one body. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Ephesians 4.12, equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body. Now, we'll probably hit that passage later, but, but do you see what it's saying? Like, I don't do ministry. I, I help equip you to do ministry, but I'm, I'm not the minister. You're the minister's. So we're never going to hire people to do the ministry here. We're going to hire people that can help equip people to do the ministry. But you guys, as followers of Christ, we want to lay down the tracks for you to do the ministry God has called you to and encourage you and equip you and pray for you and shepherd you in that. Uh, Verse 
Ephesians 5.23, Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So again, if the metaphor is that we are the body of Christ, then every person who has trusted in Jesus, you have a role to play. Find the role. Play the role. Or else we limp along together. The church is the bride of Christ. Now, I'll be honest with you. As a man, I'm uncomfortable with this metaphor. Like, especially when we get into Revelation, and it's a very intimate thing. But, but, but think about what the metaphor is communicating. It being prepared and made holy for the wedding supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19, verse 7 and 8. The marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride hath made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. It's this, this union with Christ that, that the, the bride is purifying herself. Well, rather, the groom is purifying the bride so that he's going to present us to him perfect and holy, spotless. Revelation 21, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And then in Ephesians 5, when Paul is talking about husbands and wives, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives, submit to your husbands. Uh, like this, this really countercultural uh, roles are played out. But then he says this. He says it's bigger than just your marriage. It's bigger than the culture. Ephesians 5.31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. Quoting Genesis. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. It says that our marriages are to not only dis, to display the gospel, that they, are, they say something about how the church and uh, our relationship with Jesus acts. So the church is the bride of Christ. The last one here, the church is the house and temple of God. And in Ephesians 2, we're going to dig into that a little bit more, but let me just say this. God's unique dwelling place amongst his people is on earth is in the church. So the church is is a people, not a place. We have no Mecca. There's no pilgrimage for us to go on. Like, you can go to Jerusalem, and, and that would be cool, and walk on the Sea of Galilee and be like, oh, Jesus taught here, and, and, and go and see all the amazing sights. But there is no more presence and power of God in that place than in this place right here, right now. Because the church is a people, and we are the temple of God. Some of you have used two of them now. Some of you got two left. So here we go. There's power and presence in the church. God loves the church. It is his house and temple. Again, the Old Testament imagery was God tabernacled. The tabernacle was the place where people would meet with God. But in the New Testament, the Spirit comes in us, and we are described as the tabernacle. And God is building his building, his unique dwelling place among his people, amongst us right here and all the other Christians across this city and nation and world. Hebrews 3.6, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house indeed if we hold fast our confidence and boasting in our hope. 1 Peter 2.5, you yourselves like living stones, that's a, it's an odd picture, living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we're living stones. And finally, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple 
and that God's Spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. You are that temple. So now let's zoom into Ephesians and just, just go from 30,000 feet to, to more of the ground level here. And this won't take long, but uh, verse 17, Paul has been writing to the church at Ephesus. And uh, by the way, one of the reasons we have uh, so many of the epistles in the New Testament that, that edify us, that encourage us, that is the word of God coming through the apostles the reason we have so many of them is because the church was a mess. Like the Corinthian church, disaster. None of us would want to join that church. And yet God loved that church and sent some letters to that church to encourage and edify them because they were so messed up. That should encourage us. None of us are perfect and no church is. But So Paul's writing to the Ephesians and he wants to encourage them, wants to remind them of the gospel. And earlier in the chapter, he does an amazing job of unpacking the gospel. And then he talks about how God has, has brought in Gentiles. Okay, unless you have a Jewish background, that's probably the majority or if not all of us into the household of God. Now we take that for granted, but for millennia, Gentiles, you're out. Only the chosen people, the Israelites, are in. But now, in the gospel, God is bringing those who are far and those who are near. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 17. And he came, that's Jesus, and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So in, in the Ephesian context, the far off were the Gentiles. They had no hope, no clue earlier in the chapter. It says they walked in darkness, no hope, without hope in the world. They were far off, and then there were those who were near, the covenant people. They had the law. They knew about the living God. They had a religious ceremonies, and yet they still needed to be saved by grace through faith. And so what, what he's saying is that God has made peace with them, and he's made peace between Gentiles and uh, between Jews, and he's brought them in far off and near. And so in our context, it looks like this. Some of you grew up going to Awana. Anyone, my kids did Awanas. Anyone else do Awanas? Or like Royal Rangers, anything like that? Okay, so, so you got the vest, and you memorize the verses, and you got patches, and um, you, you'd get like fake money to buy stuff at the end. And, and, and there was all these things where you could, you could just go and, and the, the, the air that your household was was just uh, going to church at the rhythm of your life, uh, you're hearing the gospel, seeing your parents pray, opening the Bible with them, learning that, all those things. And in the midst of all that, though you were near, Jesus became real. Jesus said, no, you still need me by grace through faith, and it became tangible and real. But then there, there's others of us where that was not the rhythm of the house. You, 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 you know, the, the other people that, who were near, like you grew up with the vest and all that, and you didn't cuss in your house. You had a makeup cuss word, like fingdag. And you're just like, oh, fingdag. And so that was just kind of the culture. But then there's the others, like you didn't know any other words but cuss words. That's just how you communicated. You didn't get up and go to church on Sunday. Uh, and that was probably a good thing because uh, your mom or your dad were nursing their hangover on the couch. And if they were up, it could have been dangerous for you. And so you just kind of grew up not knowing anything about God. If you thought about God, you thought, he's just a judge that wants to judge me, don't want to think about God. If you thought about church, you thought, that's just a place full of hypocrites. Uh, side note, that's true. Uh, but uh, that's just a place full of hypocrites. I don't want anything to do with them. Or maybe you thought, maybe someday I'll clean myself up. And, and when I'm good enough, I'll go to church. 
And in the midst of all that, by grace of God alone, through a neighbor, through a friend, through a family member, someone came and shared the gospel with you, and your eyes were open, and you still didn't have any vest. You still didn't have any memory verses, but you've come into the church, and it's still kind of a mystery to you. You didn't even know there was a book of Habakkuk, and you're just glad that there's a Bible app that helps you find it. That's okay. Some that were far and some that were near came together, and together we are the church. And God is doing a beautiful work in that. Amen. Amen. There you're done. Okay, verse 18. (laughs) For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and the saints. He says, you're, you're no longer strangers and aliens. So uh, those of us, again, that are Americans, we just take this for granted. As, as Americans, we just have all sorts of privileges that are afforded to us that uh, we just demand. Like, like no, anywhere in America, you can still call, you can call 911 and at different times, well, maybe not anywhere, but most places in America, people will show up, right? Like, and, and you lock your keys in your car, like, they might send, send the SWAT team out in Parker, like, you guys bored or something? Like, they'll just show up. There's just some privileges and, and uh, uh, benefits of being a citizen. Now, you travel overseas, and, and you start to realize, well, you know, there, there, there's some benefits to our citizenship. And the same was true in, in Paul's day. So there were strangers and aliens, and some people were Roman citizens, And that afforded them all sorts of privileges. At one point, a crowd, if you know your Bible, in the book of Acts, a crowd grabs Paul. They're about to stone him to death. And he says, hey, by the way, he's in a a Roman colony. So he says, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen. And they're like, whoa, whoa. And they're like, get, get, get back up. This guy deserves, he, he's entitled to a trial. If we kill him, Rome's going to roll in here and kill all of us. We can't treat him like that because he's a citizen. Now, now, now you know what Paul's getting at. Now, if that's true on an earthly sense, imagine that in a heavenly sense. The Bible says we are citizens in he- of heaven. There are, there are privileges and obligations that are, tied, that are tied to our citizenship. It says we were strangers and aliens without hope in the world, but now as the church, we come in as citizens of, of heaven and no longer strangers. But it gets better than that. You were citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So, so I love that. Like, like you might be out of town, from out of town just visiting, and we're, we're glad you're here. But, but in, a, in another sense, if you're a follower, you're home. And, and if you come here, and, and, and this is your church family, you're home when you're here. Like, the, you, you, did, you have not only the rights of citizens, you have the rights of family with us. And you deserve to be treated like that. And we deserve to be treated like that by you. So this is a, a home for us. The church is a people and not a place. And so rightly, rightly gathered, it is a place where the word of God is proclaimed and the ordinances are practiced. We'll get into that verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, 
Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So there's two things going on here. The apostles and the prophets, those are those that big A apostles, those that walked with Jesus, those that wrote the New Testament under the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter, James, and John, Paul, as he got revealed Jesus to, all these people, they're they're the apostles and the prophets. That's the Old Testament. You might think of that as just simply the word of God. So, So to any church, to be an authentic Bible church, it has to be built on the authority of the word of God. I have no authority here in this place apart from delivering this to you. Like, like it's easy to gather a crowd, right? Again, I could do my debt is dumb series and, and promote it enough and enough people would come out and I could use some jokes and gather a crowd, but nothing eternal will happen in that moment. No, nothing of significance, nothing that you really need will happen apart from a church being built on the Word of God. And so that's why we tie ourselves to a text. That's why we say, this is what the Word of God says. It's not what I'm saying. This is what, so you test me in light of that. And if I say something that isn't in accord with this, you say, you know, I, I mean, you do it gently. You come up to me and we, we talk and, and maybe I repent or maybe you repent. Uh, and we just kind of uh, work through that. But this is our authority. Not only that, and Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So it's the cornerstone of this living temple. So it's the the gospel alone that binds us together. The gospel alone that can bring us together. So so if we gather together around some social movement, we're going to disagree how that means. We come from different backgrounds, different uh, ethnicities, different economics, and we might say, no, we should do it this way or that way. But, But only the gospel can unite us. So in spite of our political differences, in spite of our economic and and ethnic differences, we can come together on the gospel and say, this unites us. This this will empower us as we go forward. So on the word of God and on Jesus we go, in whom the whole structure is being joined together, growing into a holy temple for the Lord. So let's wrap this up. As you begin to understand and apply these truths, God will do a profound work in you and through you in his church. Again, my goal, laying my cards out, is that your affections, your love for, your involvement in, your commitment to, and your love for one another would increase over the next six weeks together. And already we've seen some evidence in the last year, many evidences of this, how God is doing a work that is profound in our midst. And many of you could share that story. Uh, A few weeks ago, we had a lot of the young adults of the church over at our house, and we just asked them, tell us some highs and lows of last year. And maybe because I was sitting there, but they were all like, you know, just finding Redemption Parker. None of them said the preaching. I felt a little bit bad about that, but um, (laughs) they didn't even say the worship music, which is, man, we've come a long way, and and you guys are awesome. But what it was is the church, To, to find a community of people that was family, that are on mission with God. And that's evidence to me that we're being the church. To that end, I want to pray for us. Oh, that the Lord would grow our love and commitment and passion for one another. And then we'll come to the table that unites us once again. God, we thank you for your, your, your plan. It's a mystery. And Lord, probably none of us would draw it up this way. And yet, Ephesians 4 tells us that the manifold wisdom of God is being made known in the world through the church. And Lord, so we all uh, fall short. We all uh, sin, and we're going to sin against each other. And Lord, I pray that you would, um, in those moments, help us by your spirit to repent and to love and to forgive, to be the church, to grow together. 
God, I pray that you would, you would truly stir our affections for one another. For as we love you, we love one another. And so God, do a work in our midst. Be glorified in this time. Lord, I do want to pray for the Bowermans as they uh, prepare and pack their U-Haul and they drive up here and even now are looking for places to live and jobs to work. Lord, would you provide for them and if possible, provide through them through us. Uh, And God, I pray that uh, as a church, we would uh, just fall more in love with you because of the love of one another. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.